Uh, over summer, we're going to be looking at uh, some psalms that touch on summary themes. Uh, water, food, rest, sun and sand. And we're not going to focus in on the summary part of it, because what each one of these psalms do is points us to who God is and why God can be trusted. Uh, today, we're looking at a psalm that has something to do with water. It mentions water. And I encourage you to keep Psalm 69 open in front of you. Psalm 69. We're going to be working uh, through this passage together this morning. It begins by talking about water. And now we need water to survive. And summer, as much as any other time, unless you're a skier, a snow skier, uh, summer, we love time around water. I prefer water that's not frozen. Uh, whether it be swimming or boating or kayaking or fishing or water sliding or just picnicking near the water or going somewhere where you can get a great view of the water. We, almost everybody takes holidays near the water. Perhaps you can put your hand up if you've been near the water this week for a time of holiday or relaxing or enjoyment or sport or fitness or... Okay, quite a, quite a few people. Water can be really calming and refreshing. Yet, water can be dangerous and scary, and some of us will have scary memories of water. Now, the Psalms use a few different images of water to describe our relationship to God and the world. Here are three main ones. First of all, first, our thirsty longing for God. Say Psalm 63, which we're going to look at next Sunday, describes a thirsty longing for God. Or refreshing. Psalm 23 describes the refreshing calm of being in God's presence, being led beside still waters. Or here in Psalm 69 that we've read this morning, water represents the danger that we face in a fallen world. Now, every time we read the Psalms, we see bits and pieces of our story. In the Psalms, I see bits of my story. I'm guessing that you see pieces of your story, something there that we can all relate to. But the story that we see exactly in the Psalms is Jesus' story. Ultimately, the Psalms are the Psalms of God's King, the Christ. Ultimately, they are the story and song of Jesus. And when we read the Psalms, it's as we tune in to Jesus' story that we know our story better. But most of all, we know more and more of who God is and why we can entrust ourselves to Him. Now, Psalm 69 is a desperate cry in danger. And Marilyn pointed out that it's to the tune of lilies, but it's not probably a lilting lullaby kind of tune. It's a song of desperation. It's a prayer to God for rescue. Have a look with me again, please, in uh, verse 1. Save me, O God. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths. 
where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters, the floods engulf me. Have you ever been out of your depth in the water? Well, you've been in a pool where you could touch but you've slipped in the deeper end or you've let go of something that you were holding on to that was keeping you afloat and you're, you're scrambling like a mad dog paddle to find a foothold or something to grab onto? Well, for the psalmist, this is more than a moment of trouble. This is more than a couple of seconds that feel like an eternity of being out of his depth. In verse 3, we see that he is worn out. Worn out as he cries, calls for help, his throat is parched, his eyes fail, looking for God. Now, verse 4 tells us the real trouble that's been described poetically by the water. Verse 4 tells us that the psalmist is surrounded by enemies who hate him and seek to destroy him. Now, being hated by one person hurts, but this is intense. He is surrounded by people that hate him. Everybody round about him has some kind of broken relationship with him and is out to get him. Now, the psalmist in verse 5 whether because of an oversensitive conscience or simply being having an honest assessment of himself like we did this morning in recognising that no one is righteous, not even one. Verse 5, he thinks he's not blameless for the trouble that he's in. Though the main reason for the abuse, the main reason for the trouble, verses 6 and 7, is that he belongs to God and God's people. Follow with me please in verse 6, verse 6. He says, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me, O Lord, the Lord, o Lord, the Lord Almighty. May those who seek you not be put to shame because of me, O God of Israel. Verse 7, for I endure scorn for your sake and shame covers my face. See, because of God, because the psalmist belongs to God and belongs to God's people, verse 7, he is shamed. Because he belongs to God and God's people, verse 8, he is an alien to his own family. Verse 9, he is insulted. Verse 10, he is scorned. Verse 11, he is made fun of. Verse 12, he's mocked. Even drunks make up songs about him. Has there been a time when you've felt like this? You've felt like you've been in a situation like this, perhaps been uh, bullied or ganged up on, maybe singled out at work and mistreated unfairly. Perhaps you were laughed at by other people at school, lost the group of friends that you'd always been part of, forgotten about. Maybe you've been made fun of because you're a Christian, become isolated or ostracised by your family. It is horrible. It is lonely, we feel hopeless and it is real in some way for each one of us. There is something here that each one of us can relate to. This is a little bit of my story. There are pieces here of your story. But the story that we see exactly here is Jesus' story. Were there verses here where you thought... This is Jesus. Jesus has been through this. Jesus knows this. 
In the past couple of weeks, we just celebrated Jesus' monumental arrival into the world, but it wasn't an arrival that was only matched with celebration, it was an arrival that came in the midst of danger. People surrounded him who hated him and wanted to kill him. When Jesus was born into the world, King Herod tried to kill him. As Jesus grew up into a man and started to go out on the mission that God had entrusted to him to preach the good news of the kingdom and call people to repentance and ultimately to die for the people, the religious leaders were plotting to get rid of him. It tells us in John's Gospel that Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. He was betrayed to death by one of his disciples. And in the last days of Jesus' life, Jesus quotes Psalm 69. As he's preparing his disciples for when he would leave them, Jesus quotes Psalm 69 in John 15, verse 24 and 25, where Jesus says, they, talking about the religious leaders and the world roundabout, they have seen my works and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfil what is written in their law, they hated me without reason. This is Jesus' story. The psalmist we see here is consumed by a desire to honour God. He even suffers for God's sake and for the good of God's people. This is Jesus. Jesus quotes this psalm, verse 9, when he clears out the temple in John chapter 2. It wasn't an impulsive rage moment for Jesus where he just lost control for a little bit. When he clears out the temple, he's consumed by a burning zeal for God's honour. Zeal for your house consumes me. The Apostle Paul quotes from this psalm in verse 9 when he is making the point that Christ Jesus uh, never acted to please himself. Romans chapter 15 verse 3. Jesus is driven by God's agenda and he suffers because of this. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, The Son of Man, that is me, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is Jesus' story. The psalmist tells us of being abused, of being mocked, of being abandoned, of being lonely. In the garden... Jesus longs for his disciples, his closest ones, to stay awake with him, but they give in to sleep. As Jesus is arrested, he's falsely accused, he's flogged. Peter abandons him and denies knowing him. Jesus is mocked, he's mocked even by those who are crucified with him. And just like the psalmist in verse 21... When Jesus is thirsty, he's offered vinegar on a sponge. And in the loneliness of his death, surrounded by his enemies, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 69 is Jesus' story. And then it becomes our story. As we look to Jesus in the Psalms, we see 
who we are and we see how we might respond in the bits and pieces of our story that line up with Jesus' story. And from this psalm this morning, I want to draw out three responses that we make in times of trouble, in times of danger. In trust, long praise. Entrust ourselves to God, long for God's justice and praise God. That's what we see here in this psalm. Uh, In verses 13 to 18, in the midst of any and every danger or trouble, whether it's big or small, our first response is to cry out to God, loud and long, with tears and desperation. And don't think for a moment that by crying out loud and long with tears and desperation that this is a lack of faith. This is faith. Crying out to God is faith. Jesus always entrusted himself to his good father. In the darkest trouble that he faced, he cried out to him. Because we know God and that he can be trusted... And because we're realistic about the trouble that we face and will face in a fallen world, we put our trust in God by crying out to Him in prayer. Have you got verses 13 to 18 bookmarked and highlighted in your Bible? This is a prayer of faith. You and I need this prayer. Every time we face danger, every time we face anxiety, every time we face trial, every time we face fear, every time we face temptation, we need this prayer memorised, that we might cry it out loud and long with tears and desperation. You might not be in dark times right now, but if you cast your mind back to 2017, there were dark days. There were times of fear and loneliness and trial and temptation. A good action point for us today is to bookmark and highlight these verses and become very, very familiar with us. Verses 13 to 18, I'm going to read them again right now. And perhaps you'd like to think back to that dark time, that that sin and temptation that plagues you and commit to your memory praying this prayer. Follow with me please in verse 13. But I pray to you, O Lord... In the time of your favour, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me from the deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me or the depth swallow me up or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, O Lord. Out of the goodness of your love, in your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I'm in trouble. Come near. Rescue me. Redeem me because of my foes. Our first response is to entrust ourselves to God. Our second response is to long for God's justice. Really, this is an extension of entrusting ourselves and all things to God. Now, I don't know if you, when verses 22 to 28 were read before, you were a bit shocked by them. 
pour out your wrath on them. I'm going to read them again, that our ears might be jarred and shocked by what the psalmist is praying here. We will want to go, wait, what? Verse 22, may the table set before them become a snare, may it become a retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. Doesn't that make you go, wait, what? If we pray verses 13 to 18, should we also pray verses 22 to 28? Now, if I'm truly honest, I've thought these kind of thoughts before about my enemies who give me real trouble, but I've never turned those thoughts into a prayer that God might pour out his wrath on them, that they might be blotted out of the book of life, but they might be not listed among the righteous. What should we expect to happen with a prayer like this? This is a little bit shocking. Now, without softening anything the psalmist says, let's just take a step back and notice what's going on here. First of all, this is not about personal vengeance. This is not a prayer for personal vengeance. This is not expressing the psalmist's mind to go out and get vengeance against those who have harmed him. What the psalmist is doing, he's bringing it to God. This is entrusting all things to God. He brings it to God. The second thing to notice is this is not about trivial matters. The things that have been going on in verses 1 to 12, these are, these are horrible, moral things that rightly upset the psalmist. He's, he's not flying off the handle about somebody having the last of the Cocoa Pops. This is not trivial matters. And the third thing to notice, the psalmist appeals to God. And he appeals to God for his perfect justice, for God's perfect judgment, for God to do what is right. This is not personal vengeance, not about trivial matters. It's an appeal to God to do what is perfectly just and right. Now this again is Jesus' story. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 22 and 24, 23 and 24 says, When they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. As we know God, and as we know God's ways more and more, we'll be people who align our ways with God's ways. So that we might be people who long for His justice more than we long for our own justice. So perhaps an action point for us here. The things that we get angry about, the justice that we seek, the causes in the world that we seek to advance, the petitions that we sign, the 
articles that we share on Facebook that we might get stirred up about? Here's the question, are all those passions and concerns for justice, are they aligned with God's concerns for justice in the world? Is my anger and frustration in the world aligned with God's concerns? Now, the third and resounding uh, response in this psalm is praise of God. Now, so far, this psalm hasn't sounded very praisey. The psalms are full of praise. They're really here in the psalms because they are praise of God. So did the psalmist or some later editor just whack these uh, last seven or so verses on the end so that they might be included, that they might be praisey enough? No, I don't think so. What the psalmist shows us here in verses 29 and following is a genuine, gutsy, grateful praise of God in the midst of the mud and muck of life. You see verse 29, I am in pain and distress, may your salvation, O God, protect me. And so verse 30, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This psalm concludes as a celebration of who God is and what he is doing. Verse 32, the poor will see and be glad, you who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. For us, because of Jesus' story, because of what God has done for us in Jesus, we have every reason to, in every season of life, for genuine, gutsy, grateful praise of God. This is exactly what the psalmist does. And now he doesn't do it because he's an eternal optimist. He doesn't just do it because he sees the world through rose-coloured glasses. He doesn't do it because he's one of those people who just wakes up every morning with a spring in their step. He doesn't do it because he's one of those people who can always turn his frown upside down, smile his troubles away. No, he does it as a realist and a truthist who knows God, knows what God has done and is doing for him. And so here's an action point for you and I. We need to fill our hearts and minds with Psalm 69. This is Jesus' story of what he endured for us. As you read Psalm 69, this is what Jesus went through for you and for me. You and I, we need to fill our hearts and minds with the gospel narratives to be reminded again and again and again and again that this is Jesus' story that he endured for us. Know Psalm 69 well. Know the gospel narratives well. Later on this year and across most of the year, we're going to be reading through John's Gospel. We're going to come back to it and come back to it and come back to it and come back to it. My aim 
In looking at John's Gospel this year, one of my aims is to try and make you bored of John's Gospel. Now, I think it's not possible to get bored, but I'm going to have the aim. We're going to read it and read it and drink it and feed on it that we might get bored. That's the aim, but the outcome will be that our hearts and minds will be filled with Jesus' story and what he's endured for us that in every season we might be able to respond with genuine and grateful and gutsy praise of God. The more we know this story, the more we'll respond in this way for what God is doing in our story. So here's our main points. When we face trouble, when we face danger, Jesus' story, Psalm 69, teaches us to entrust ourselves to God, to cry out to Him desperately, long and hard. Jesus' story, Psalm 69, teaches us to long for God's justice and to keep aligning our perspective of justice with God's perspective. And Jesus' story and Psalm 69 teaches us to praise God Genuine, grateful, gutsy praise of God. We're going to pause now for a time of prayer. And I'm going to leave it quiet so that you can turn this psalm into your prayer. I'll wrap us up in a moment. Perhaps you'd like to focus in on verses 13 to 18 where you need to be entrusting yourself to God again, calling out to Him in the midst of trouble. You might like to focus on verses 22 to 29. Perhaps you are feeling a time of injustice and being mistreated by your enemies and you want to align your sense of justice with God's perfect sense of justice. And you might like to pray through those verses and make them your own. Perhaps this morning you want to be responding with praise and verses 30 to 36 might shape the prayer that you pray quietly to yourself right now. Let's entrust ourselves to God. Let's long for His justice. Let's praise Him together.